Welcome to episode 304 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was published on Wednesday, 10th of August, 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. Hey there, I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show, I'm glad to welcome back e-bike guru Ed Benjamin. Veteran e-bike guru Ed Benjamin. He's the go-to guy for e-bike growth stats and also the go-to guy for bike industry folks who want to figure out what can be a complex sourcing challenge. And I said welcome back because Ed has been on the show before, but not since 2009. And I can't link to that episode because it was recorded at the Interbike Trade Show in Las Vegas and was streamed live to a TV audience of, well, a TV audience. Uh, We talked for a little under an hour and you'll soon hear why I call him a guru. You were basically um, uh, telling the global bike industry there was an e-bike boom coming back in the days even of of lead acid batteries so 20 25 perhaps even more years ago so are we at that future that you said back then we should expect no i think we are the my understanding is that the european european market is going to be about five million units this year the american market is not far from a million units i'm predicting it at seven hundred thousand for this year eight hundred and eighty thousand for last year but things are cooled off a little bit here um the chinese market is more than 30 million um and hey we're there this is we are a, a significant and important part of the transportation mix for most of the world so you you were saying that before well people were saying you're crazy when you were saying that 25 years ago uh, probably i was saying you were crazy as well ed um and, and i have known you for an awfully long time and you were saying those <laughs> things and people were, were going yeah 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 that's not going to happen and absolutely yeah. as you just said there it's absolutely happened in china first it absolutely happened in europe i mean america has been a slower burn hasn't it uh you know adoption was very quick in asia uh, partly because the vehicle was perfect for the densely inhabited coastal cities of Asia and because there was strong government encouragement. Uh, the, the Chinese governments in particular recognized that the small vehicle was what their people were going to use and the small vehicles were emitting a lot of pollution and they'd better do something. And so they uh, basically uh, provided, as they put it, strong encouragement for the electric bicycle uh, by discouraging uh, two-stroke engines, by discouraging mopeds, gasoline-assisted bicycles, et cetera. 
Um, so they were fast, you know, from the time that the technologies that enable electric bicycles to be a commercial success were available, which I'll suggest that they were available at the correct price starting in 1994. Uh, from 1994 to the time the Chinese were reacting was two years to the time that the Chinese electric bicycle was all over the place in many hundreds of thousands, less than 10 years. And today, uh, there's probably more than, or something very close to 300 million electric bikes used in China every day. Are they day. lead acid? So, Are they still lead acid mainly? Well, yeah, lead acid is still a major, uh, major energy storage device. There's a lot of the, the, where lithium is the primary uh, battery metallurgy for the Western market. Lead acid is still the primary metallurgy for most of the Asian markets with lithium making some grounds, make, uh, gaining ground, I should say. So, yeah, uh, and that's been an issue. You know, lead acid batteries, uh, they, for heavy daily use, they typically last about a year and now they need to be recycled. And, uh, and most of the, the cities of Asia now have vigorous uh, lead acid recycling uh, where in the West, we are using a lot of lithium batteries and we don't really have a way of dealing with the old lithium batteries yet. Because in the EU, they've, they've, they've just brought in a new rule that you're going to have to recycle those. So so manufacturers and suppliers are, are going to have to do something with their their lithium-ion batteries. Yes. Well, and, and they would say we are doing something. Um, and, and maybe a more honest thing would be for them to say, we're in the process of figuring out what's the best thing to do with it. An awful lot of lithium battery recycling today is shred it and put it in a landfill. Uh, but I'd like to, personally, I believe that it won't be very much longer before some of these outfits will succeed in commercially viable recovery of the lithium materials, which have a significant value. You've got companies like Redwood, uh, materials who are doing it for cars. So that was that was a former um, executive from Tesla who realized that this is going to yeah. be a big thing. So presumably, if, if Tesla can do it for, or a company that you know sprang from Tesla can do it for for cars, bikes can surely do it. Oh yeah, and 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 I think that we're in the process of getting there. Keep in mind that the battery package for a car, which can be thousands of cells. Um, and the battery package for a bike, which might be 40, maybe 60 cells, um, different, different size of scale. But if we look at lead acid battery recycling, which is something the Western economies do very well, um, if I have a lead acid uh, battery, whether it comes from a car or an electric bike, you know, I think there are four or five places that will accept it for recycling within one mile of my home. And we'll see the same thing happen with lithium and, the, and we'll see the lithium uh, recaptured. That lithium metal, the lithium salts uh, have a value. Uh, they're going to have more and more value as we build more and more electric vehicles that use lithium for energy storage. So we'll get there. And there's probably some lithium guy that will be listening to this and going, hey, wait a minute, my company is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're making progress. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're speaking to us here from Fort Myers in Florida. From Fort Myers, Florida. Because that's in yeah. the news at the moment is, is Florida. I know you're about 125 miles away from completely opposite from, from the, the, the building that's in the news at the moment. But you're in, you're, you're in Florida, yeah. 
I'm in Florida, and we are often in the news. Uh, now, the reason I bring up Florida is because it, it's, I've never been there in the. In, I've never been there ever, but I know that in the summer it's meant to be incredibly brutal to live in Florida. Now, no, is that correct? No, is that? No, no, no. I've been reading about the temperatures in mm -hmm. the UK recently. You guys have it tougher than we do. We have a lot of air conditioning. Mm. You don't. Uh, so, you know, yeah, uh, it's warm here in the summertime uh, and, and humid, it's humid. Yeah, that's a different. So I'm, I'm, yeah. where I was going with that was just, is that not just somewhere perfect for an e-bike? Because you, you don't want to sweat. You don't want to, you know, go on your, your, your standard bike and, and ride around. But you might with an e-bike. Is that? Well, it's a good place for e-bikes. There's, there's a couple of markets that really stand out for the electric bike. One of the markets is the older person who wants to ride his electric bike around often in the evening, often uh, staying in the neighborhood and chatting with his neighbors or her neighbors, often couples riding together. And we have a lot of that in Florida. We have a lot of retirees that live in areas that are quite pleasant to go for a casual ride. And they're finding that an electric bike is uh, something that they enjoy riding. It's easier to ride. And it's something to talk about when they, when they visit with their neighbors. Hey, look at my new electric bike. So there's been a lot of uh, a, the, that that market is very strong in Florida. Another uh, market, though, that's very strong is dense urban environments, cities where parking your car uh, is a ma major expense or a major inconvenience. Uh, places like Boston, uh, San Francisco, uh, New York City, uh, South Miami. Uh, these are all places where uh, have, owning a car is just a pain in the butt. And in Florida, we do have year-round cycling weather, although we also have some very serious rains that visit us most afternoons in the summertime. Uh, but that's manageable. Uh, so, yes, the electric bicycle in the cities of Florida, it's a natural. But the electric bicycle in the cities of the world is a natural. If we look at where our electric bicycles used mo mm. the most, I would say it's flat coastal cities all over the world. But you mentioned the old demographic there. And of course, that's that's what the industry was very frightened of promoting to. And and they very much mm. wanted younger people to get into into e-bikes. And it took an awfully long time of, of, of marketing to that demographic. Do you think the bike industry has succeeded? Is the e-bike a young person's product? Well, uh, one aspect of it is, yes. And uh, there are two things that have happened. One of them is uh, the young people, I'm talking about the United States, but I think there's a lot of overlap here with Western Europe. Uh, the young people of America are broke. They've got school debt. They've got challenging um, in, uh, income issues for most of them. And owning a car is expensive. So riding a bicycle, and, and remember, these are young folks who are still perfectly capable of riding a bicycle, but the electric bicycle means they can go farther. They can live farther away from the work or farther away from the metro station. It means that they get to work uh, without being, uh, per without perspiring, without needing a shower. So we have young people turning to this as a mode of transportation that suits today's reality. We also have uh, them turning to it for recreation. In the United States, bicycles have been sport, fitness, and recreation. That we've, even though there's always been a relatively small percentage of our bicycle riders that use them for transportation, 
we don't think of them as transportation. Now in, in Asia, the first thought you have is that's a way to get to work or that's a way to get to the metro station or the store. And you almost see that attitude. You do see it in some Western European cultures to a greater or lesser extent, a bicycle is transportation, of course. In America, that there's no of course. A bicycle is sport, fitness, and recreation. But, 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 mountain bikes. Ah, mountain bikes. We love go mountain biking. We love to ride off the road. And somebody has been turning gravity up every year of my life. And as they turn gravity up, I find that an electric bicycle allows me to continue riding in the mountains. It allows me to continue uh, having a totally enjoyable afternoon and rather than the embarrassment of walking up the hill. The, uh, so the electric mountain bike fit very neatly into American ideas about what a bicycle should be. It's fun. It's, it's fitness. It's recreation. And it was like somebody threw open a couple of huge doors uh, into the electric mountain bike world and said, come on in here. It's fun. And, and, and I think I'm quoting Gary Fisher correctly. Uh, Gary Fisher, of course, is a, an institution, a, a legend in the mountain bike world. And I, Gary said at one of the trade shows that the electric mountain bike adds 15 years to your mountain biking season. So that worked it very also, well. It also, there was friction there with, uh, with, with getting it onto certain mountains and in certain um, national oh, yeah. properties where the rangers didn't want mountain bikes to be electrified and they, they didn't even like mountain bikes if you if, if truth be told so no, there was that friction there too that's just, you know there yes there's of course there's friction there and uh but i would suggest it's really more from other users uh a few years ago actually a couple of decades ago I was doing an internship in Boulder, Colorado, and I was fascinated. They have a wonderful bicycle path that goes up the mountain stream. And I was fascinated by all of the uh, friction, I guess would be the way to put it. The dog walkers hated everybody. The roller skaters hated everybody. The bicycle riders are going, this is our bike path. You dog walkers and rollerbladers need to get out of our way. And then there's the skateboarders. And then there's mom with a baby stroller. And all of these groups were trying to share the same piece of asphalt, and none of them were happy with the presence of the others. What this taught me was people are a messy bunch. I don't care what it is, how far from the road it is, or how sensible it is, somebody is going to bitch about it. And by the way, let's not forget the horseback riders on the mountain trails in the backcountry. They don't like bicycle riders. They also don't like walkers. So are human beings going to just instantly say, hey, this is great, let's share? Uh, not in my experience. So I don't, you know, yes, I observe that there is this kind of conflict. I observe that People for Bikes and some of the other organizations have done an awful lot of good work to try to uh, formalize the where you can and where you shouldn't and to negotiate uh, a peaceful coexistence as best they can. I'm really impressed with the work they've done. But- Human beings are a messy mm. bunch. They're going to grump at mm. each other. Now, now, tell me uh, how you got into the bike industry, and that's before the e-bike stuff, and before you owned um, a bunch of bike shops in in Florida. So, how did you originally get into bikes? All right, my first bicycle shop job was in 1969, but before that, I was working at a McDonald's as a teenager. And there was this nutcase guy there that had this incredibly expensive bicycle. I think he paid more than $200 for it. Back in, back in the 1960s, $200 paid for a bicycle was mind-bending. Mm. 
And this guy was a big, strong, good looking guy. He was also working at McDonald's. And I was fascinated by his bicycle. And I said, what is this all about? And he says, this is a racing bicycle. It's a real racing bicycle. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. I just was absolutely fascinated with the bike. I was fascinated with the idea of racing bicycles. And I got started racing bicycles as a result of Bob Easton and his Raleigh professional uh, that he rode to, rode to McDonald's uh, as his uh, way to get to work. So I followed along behind Bob Easton. Uh, learned to be a bicycle racer, uh, won a few races, lost a lot of races, mm-hmm. uh, wound up working in bicycle shops, as many bicycle racers do. And so I was a skinny teenager on a crappy bicycle who rode so much that he won races and that allowed him to buy a better bicycle. And that's how I got started. So that was your archetypal bike boom, uh, 70s bike boom person in 1969, you know, 70. Uh, yeah. that, that's that's when the the you know the, the national is covering it and saying there's a boom in bikes happening. So you you are that guy. Yeah. Well, if you look at the movie Breaking Away, mm. that uh, some of the people that were extras in that movie were the people that I rode with, and and that movie resonated with us. That was us. <laughs> Even down to the very ugly shorts that caused every girl that saw us in them to go ooh. <sighs> Okay. And you segued from that into owning bike shops. How, how, how did that happen? Oh, I, uh, well, I worked at bicycle shops, assembling bicycles. I later wound up managing bike shops. And then, uh, you know, I went to the university, learned, a, went and got a degree that would not allow me to make a living, got out of uh, the university and said, well, one thing I do know how to do is work in a bicycle shop. And my father and I uh, identified Fort Myers, Florida as a promising market. We bought a bicycle shop that existed in Fort Myers and we started operating that store and we kept up, we expanded it into four stores. And then uh, to, to, to beat you to the next question in the, in the 1990s, um, my father passed away from cancer. My, uh, my chief financial officer, who was my wife, decided she didn't want to be married to me. So she became an ex-wife. My store manager, my brother got hit and killed in a car bicycle accident. Mm. And I'm going, I don't want to be in the bicycle shop anymore. Mm. Uh, I'd been good at it, but I didn't want to do it anymore. But I was totally fascinated with this new thing called electric bicycles. And that's how I got interested and started chasing electric bicycles. Is that kind of like Lee Iacocca kind of period? Or is this before uh, Lee Well, Iacocca... Iacocca was talking about electric bicycles very close to the same time. And uh, frankly, uh, I found his vision or the things that he said, I found them inspiring. Describe who, uh, describe who he is. Oh, Lee Iacocca? You know, he was a, an executive from the motor trade, basically. Yeah, he's an executive who had, had been involved at Ford Motor Company mm-hmm. and, and Chrysler Motor Company. Uh, highly articulate, very good, charis- charismatic. Uh, you know, and, and here was a guy who was famous for bringing the Ford Mustang into existence. Uh, he'd been involved in every aspect of the automobile industry. And he was an icon of the automobile industry and a very, very big deal. Mm. And here he was fooling around with electric bicycles. Mm. <laughs> really? And, but what that gave me was validation. And not only was he articulate and, and um, charismatic, and he was saying things that really resonated with me. 
But here he was making the stepping from the automobile industry, which in American minds is the main event, stepping from the automobile industry into the electric bike business. Now, it turns out that Lee was not very good at the electric bike business, but he definitely uh, shaped a lot of my early uh, interest. And unfortunately, uh, Time Magazine asked me, I think it was in 1997, Time Magazine asked me uh, for a quote about how do you think Lee Iacocca is going to do? And I said, well, he's not going to sell 50,000 bikes in his first year. And um, Lee apparently took personal offense to that. And uh, my chances of becoming Lee's buddy uh, died in that statement. But did he? Did he not sell that? Were you right? Yeah, no. His 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 business success with uh, EV Global Motors, there wasn't any business success. Mm. Um, you know, it was inspirational, but... Uh, he, uh, the market was not ready to buy the mm. EV to elect. It wasn't ready to buy electric bikes in the United States, and it wasn't ready to buy the EV Global Motors bike. And Lee, who apparently was quite brilliant in the world of automobile companies, appeared to be not very good at a small company, small startup company. Because mm. that wasn't a pedal assist bike; that was almost a, an electric motorbike. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, it's what we call a class two bike now. Mm. It was controlled by a throttle. But it did open a lot of people's eyes, including yours, by the sound of it, oh, to, yeah. to this sector. And then other people came along and, and, and started doing stuff. So what, what were you doing in e-bikes at this time? What were you physically, how were you connected to the industry? Uh, well, in, in, in 1996, I decided that I was going to focus my attention on the electric bicycle world or electric bicycle industry. Now, keep in mind that the electric bicycle had really become a, a commercial success starting in 1994 in Japan. And there was, we were in 1996, we're reading about, well, the, Europe, the Chinese government is banning mopeds and encouraging electric bikes and so on. And, uh, and I was, uh, had, we had a customer in the bike shop, a guy named Dr. Frank Jamerson. And Dr. Jamerson had been investigating and researching the electric bicycle business since 1993, 94. And Dr. Jamerson, I got to know him because he'd bring these electric bikes in and he would need them fixed. Most of the problems were bicycle problems, by the way. Um, so we'd fix his bikes for him. And I got to know Dr. Jamerson. And then Dr. Jamerson, who was not a young man, uh, asked me to go to China for him and visit a trade show. And um, of course, I was strongly interested in doing that, although I was a a boy from Kentucky who had never traveled. I'd never been out of the country. I'd never, certainly never been to Asia. And um, here, Dr. Jamerson was sending me on this, this uh, fact finding or information gathering mission. And wow, that was such an eye-opening thing. As a result of Dr. Jamerson's introductions, I wound up going to a trade show in Germany and then to a trade show in uh, Shanghai. And uh, by the time, by 1997, 98, I was convinced that electric bicycles were going to be the main event for the bicycle industry. They were higher priced. They were, they used up their battery. They, they were going to be ridden more. They were going to need more service. Um, this was going to be the moneymaker. I was absolutely convinced starting in 96, 97, that this was going to be the main moneymaker for the bicycle industry. Well, most of the bicycle industry thought that was absurd. And I was reasonably well known in America in bicycle industry because I'd operated these bicycle shops and had operated them successfully. And I'd been around for a long time. And I had people telling me, Ed, you're going to be broke forever. You're never going to make this consulting company work. And, um, 
and uh, there was a lot of doubt in my own mind. But um, that uh, relationship with Dr. Jamerson, uh, his uh, encouraging me to go out into Europe and Asia uh, and learn about it and, and make friends. And one of the things that happened quite a lot at that time was I would go to a factory, uh, for example, uh, TNDI or Small Antelope uh, in, in Suzhou, and I would go to the factory to visit the factory, and the people in the factory would say, what are you here to, to buy? And I'd say, I'm not here to buy anything. What are you here to sell? I'm not here to sell anything. Why are you here? I want to make friends. And that turned out to be a really good thing to, really good approach to this. So um, I spent five or six years basically uh, traveling around to the electric bike events and electric bike factories, electric bike component makers, battery makers, motor makers, et cetera. Uh, and my only intention was simply to develop a network, to make friends, to get to, to learn from these folks. And that worked. And uh, the result was that I was early in and, and got around a bit. And that created the, the foundation for a future consulting business and the foundation for what would become the Light Electric Vehicle Association. Mm, le- lever, lever, how do you pronounce that? Well, I usually say LEVA, but okay. we have other folks that say LEVA. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's, it doesn't matter. Because that's Light not, electric not just vehicle bikes, system. obviously. So that's vehicle. So that's not just, you know, e-bikes. So what, what, how that's do you right. classify what, what, that, what that encompasses? Well, a vehicle is a device that carries somebody from A to B. And, uh, you know, we could say that automobiles, buses, trains, airplanes, uh, skateboards, uh, the list is along of the devices that human beings use to get from A to B. And when we, when we named the, the Light Electric Vehicle Association, you know, we had thought about calling it the Electric Cycle Association. But the problem was that, or the, the challenge that we saw was that we were going to see a lot of, of categories of, of electric-powered micro mobility vehicles that have that are not electric bicycles um they were going to be uh, we didn't know exactly what they were going to be but we could see these electric mini scooters that people stand up on we could see uh, uh, a lot of innovative electric vehicles coming out of europe such as the trike um and and since then we've seen continued to see a very interesting innovation uh in uh, micro mobility vehicles. So, is the electric bicycle the ultimate ultimate micro mobility vehicle? It's a very good one, and it's working really well, and it's selling really well. But is it the ultimate one? I don't know. Uh, I kind of doubt it. I suspect that we're kind of uh, you know, if you think about uh, the automobile industry in its early days, nineteen oh six, nineteen ten, they called them horseless carriages. And we, if we saw a horseless carriage today, we would chuckle and say, boy, they've certainly evolved. I think we're going to see similar involvement from the electric bicycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, My grandkids may be looking at electric bicycle and chuckling and saying, well, that's not what we use today. Mm. Uh, Is your dog okay, by the way? Is it like uh, panting to see you or? No, there's uh, some landscapers that have arrived. (laughs) And even with the door closed, she feels that she has a secure security duty to uh, inform the landscapers that she's got her eye on them. I apologize. No, for that's that. okay. What kind of dog have you got there, Ed? Well, she's a, a Labrador. Oh, okay. Labrador yeah. are not normally that barky. I was thinking of a, a, a different breed to that, but okay. 
Now she's a four-year-old Labrador who takes, if, if we let her outside, she would run up to each one of the landscapers <laughs> and greet them enthusiastically and then come back inside and be quiet. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, so going back to, um, vehicles, electric vehicles, do you see, I did a story a, a wee while ago, it must be God, two years ago now, uh, time flies, but on the, the Canyon kind of electric car. So, uh, you know, the Canyon, the, the mountain bike and the, and the, the road bike people clearly right. think there's a potential future there for a light electric vehicle, uh, uh, right. uh basically, but they were very adamant that they, in fact, when I mentioned the Sinclair C5 to them, they kind of knew exactly what I meant and they, they knew that's what they had to not do. D- does that yes. Sinclair C5, you know, not hold that category back? You know, I, I have to confess that I don't pay a lot of attention to uh, anything more than three wheels. And uh, so I would suggest that uh, the human race is going to buy or going to start using a wide variety of vehicles that uh, of many sizes and many characteristics. But um, I have reasonably informed opinions about ones that have two or maybe three wheels and anything more than that. I can say I see it coming, but I don't pay that much attention to it. So your your LEVA, could one of the categories there or one of the classifications be it's it's not four wheels? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I must have missed something there. Maybe I am not familiar with the Canyon vehicle. Uh, well, I, I think the Canyon is a trike. It, 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 I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't think on. It's certainly small. It was small enough to fit into a into a into a bike lane. That's where they they're they're, they're pitching it. All right. How are we spelling this? C A N Y O N Canyon. Like the bicycle company. Oh yeah, it is the bicycle company. It's basically yeah, they're yeah. doing a a light electric vehicle. It was a concept vehicle, yeah. which they did. So it's basically an electric. You know, they they would they would. I think it was actually before they started doing electric bikes. But they knew right. they were going to be doing this electric, in effect, small car. It's not commercial yet, but just the fact yeah. that they were looking at this space, you know, uh, for, for Canyon to do that was really interesting. Yeah, it's been. I found it. It's been around for about a year. Um, the uh, this, you know, uh, uh, the, this kind of light electric car, I see it as a no-brainer for. Uh, the dense urban environment that human beings are moving into more and more often. Uh, but it's also, um, and we could probably build it using mostly electric bicycle componentry. Mm. Mm. And I think that's their idea. So this could be quite light, quite inexpensive and quite functional, but I've not been paying attention to this category. Cause we do. I mean, if you go to the Netherlands and if you go to Amsterdam, you see these kind of vehicles already yes. dotting around that, you know, the, the bike paths of Amsterdam, you know, this, 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 this is an existing category. Yeah. Since, since you know, at least 20 years that they, they've been dotting around, but they haven't taken off massively. So I'm just wondering yeah. what, what would it take to make them take off? Uh, probably uh, access to safe roadways. Uh, and of course the Dutch ride those things on the bicycle path. Mm. Um, but Again, it's a simply a category that I have not been paying much attention to. I recognize it exists. I probably would own one myself mm. if I were riding through the, the rainy days of uh, Amsterdam. But um, I'm afraid that uh, not my not my area of knowledge, mm. Carlton. Okay. 
So I wasn't going to go, or I won't go into like the the villagers type, you know, golf cart, electric cart, golf cart. That's kind of not your territory. It's got to be well, a bicycle that, shaped thing. The, the villages using an electric golf cart, if they could buy one that had a diesel exhaust that put out black smoke, that's the one they would like better. <laughs> yes. In case you don't know it, the villages are a hotbed of everything that's stupid about the baby boomer generation, of which I'm a member. Uh, yes, yes. But the villages are a concentration of conservative, uh, upside down, right wing. Uh, we don't like anything that's good for anybody else thinking. And I'm sure somebody will hear this and say something nasty about me because that's what they do in the villages. <laughs> yes. I've done a few stories on them. It's, uh, it's an interesting place. Uh, so mid motor, hub motor, bolt on accessory to make your wheel go round. D- do any of these things matter? Is it just the fact that you should be going on electric bikes or do you think there should be a form of technology here that's that's better than the others? Well, they, they're, they're different. They have different strengths. The hub motor bike, the hub motor is inexpensive. It works really well. It's almost absurdly reliable. It uses a space in the bike that nothing else does. Mm. You can bolt it into an ordinary bicycle frame. Wow, lots of advantages. Disadvantages. Well, it's, you can't use the bicycle, tra- you can't run the power of the motor through the bicycle transmission. Mm. Um, and uh, it's that's what the great advantage of the mid-motor bike where you've got the high torque uh, motor of the human being. Uh, somebody called it the meat motor one time mm. or the muscle motor. That's a very high torque motor. And you add to it an electric motor, and then you run it through the sophisticated and broad range of a bicycle transmission. And we have one impressive vehicle. We can climb mountains. We can go fast. We can do, we can, wow, this is a great combo. Uh, The downside is that it's more expensive, Mm -hmm. uh, partly because there's a lot more machined parts in there. And partly because it's a, generally speaking, it's a more sophisticated and tightly integrated system. But the performance advantage is significant. Um, other types of electric vehicle or electric bicycle propulsion, they're very small by comparison. Today, we've got a, a lot of hub motor bikes. They're by far the unit, the dominant in unit numbers. Mid-motor bikes, by far the dominant in terms of attention because of their superior performance and higher, higher prices and because the people that sell them have got good marketing skills. The bikes that don't fall into either of those two categories, ones that might have a a motor mounted outboard of the rear triangle or a motor that rubs the tire or some other uh, innovative way. For the most part, they're really small at this time. Is there something lurking out there that's just going to take over? Uh, Maybe. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see it right now. Uh, Most of the other ideas are find that they're useful niche or they're commercially viable niche is as a DIY kit or an aftermarket kit, for example, um, a unit that rubs the rear tire or uses the rear wheel as its uh, gear reduction, um, is very inexpensive and very easy to install. And that makes it a, a very attractive uh, aftermarket kit, but it doesn't climb hills worth of anything. And it you run it through a wet, anything wet road or a puddle and doesn't work at all. So the you know, all of these systems have got their pros and their cons, but the dominant ones, the hub motor and the mid motor, both of them have their particular strength, their particular application where they're great. 
Do you think the accessories, you know, those those add-ons, of which there are, you know, any number on Kickstarter, um, yes. anyone on Terminator, do you think that just basically it shows you the interest in the concept? People might be oh, yeah. frightened by the cost, so they, they kind of attach themselves to these lower-cost options, but then eventually they, they might buy that equipment and it uh, attached to their, their, their existing bike. But at the end of the day, it's going to be far better from just to buy a, an electric bike, and then that's what we yes. end up doing. Um, and that's that's often their conclusion. In fact, earlier today, I was reading a interview uh, from the guy that was uh, running um, Super Pedestrian. Mm. Super Pedestrian commercialized the Copenhagen wheel, mm. which was an all-in-one wheel, battery, motor, controller, everything inside the rear wheel of the bicycle. Very tidy. Uh, got a tremendous amount of media attention. Got a tremendous amount of of excitement. And I'm sorry that I don't remember Asaf's last name, but Asaf commented that one of the things they had learned as they sold the, the, this all-in-one wheel was that an awful lot of their customers would come to, the, to decide that what they wanted was just a complete bike. Mm-hmm. You know, this business of installing a wheel, uh, fiddling with a wheel, when you make a conversion like that, there's a, no matter how skilled you are or how good that kid is, there's always a period of, oh, I needed to adjust that or I needed to add this. <laughs> and what, what Asaf says in his interview is they're – Superped's uh, challenge were the people that said, oh, "I'm just going to buy a complete bike." Or telling the super pedestrian, "Does that come in a bike? I'd buy the bike. I'm not interested in the wheel. Give me the bike." Uh, I'm sure they heard that a lot. Hmm. Hmm. At that junction, Ed, I'd like to to go across to to my co-host David, and we'll split for, um, in fact, an electric bike themed uh, ad break. Hey everyone, this is David from the Fredcast and the Spokesman, and I'm here once again to tell you about our amazing sponsor, Turn Bicycles, at www.turnbicycles.com. T-E-R-N bicycles.com. Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. Speaking of, of being able to ride every day, as a Spokesman listener, I'm going to bet that you are the go-to consultant for your friends who want to ride but aren't enthusiasts and need some advice on what to buy. In that case, you may have people in your life for whom you just haven't been able to recommend just the right bike, considering their stature, age, mobility issues, or just plain hesitance to get back on a bike. Finally, those family members and friends can experience a new bike day with the all-new turn NBD. Get it? New Bike Day NBD. Okay, the NBD has been specifically designed to be confidently easy to handle and easy to ride, even well, even for those folks who might be, as Josh Hahn, team captain of Turn Bicycle says, are smaller in size and have a hard time finding a bike that fits, or older riders who might not have ridden a bike in a while, or Riders who might have balance or physical issues or riders who are just intimidated by the sheer size and weight of the average e-bike. As Josh goes on to say, the NBD will be refreshingly easy to hop aboard and ride. Now, how can Josh be so confident in that? Well, it's simple. The NBD has the lowest, longest step-through opening of any premium e-bike. So if you know someone with a knee or a hip injury or or somebody who just can't lift their leg over the top tube of a regular bike, this alone could make all the difference. Plus, 
The NBD is designed with an ultra-low center of gravity and a longer wheelbase. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it makes it easy to balance and handle. And with a lowered bottom bracket and motor, the NBD is stable for all riders. It particularly inspires confidence for shorter cyclists because they can easily get their feet on the ground when they come to a stop. But the MBD isn't just for shorter riders. As a matter of fact, it adjusts in seconds, without tools, by the way, to fit riders from 4 foot 10 to 6 foot 3 or 147 to 190 centimeters. The NBD is also super comfortable with its upright riding position, swept handlebars, suspension seat post, and wide 20-inch balloon tires. Need to load the NBD into a car? No problem. It folds flat in seconds. How about getting it into a smaller living space? No sweat. The NBD includes turns vertical parking features so you can roll the bike into a small elevator and park it in a corner of your apartment. Now, with a max gross vehicle weight of 140 kilos, that's 308 pounds, the NBD can easily carry an extra passenger and plenty of cargo. With up to 27 kilos on the rear rack and up to 20 kilos on the front rack. And in fact, it works with a wide range of turn accessories and with most child seats. As I've said before, and this is important to me, really important, safety is a core value at turn. And that's why the NBD frame and fork have been rigorously tested by one of Europe's leading bike test labs. That's also why Turn chooses to use the Bosch motor and battery system. It's one of the few systems on the market that meets and passes the UL standard for battery and electronics safety. Read the news and you know how important that is. Now the NBD comes in two models with prices starting at $3,899 or €3,999 and bikes are going to start arriving in stores in Q1 of 2023. For more information about the NBD or any of Turn's wide range of bikes, just head on over to TurnBicycles.com. Again, T-E-R-N Bicycles.com. We thank Turn for their sponsorship of the Spokesman Podcast, and we thank you for your support of Turn. Once again, thanks for allowing me this brief introduction, everybody. And now let's get back to Carlton and the Spokesman. Uh, so we, we are back. Thank you, David. We are back with uh, with Ed Benjamin. And Ed um, is, I, I think it's pretty safe to say, is an e-bike guru and and, is, and has been um, talking about e-bikes for longer than 27 years. probably most people. Uh, 27 years. Hannes it. Newport yep. has probably... No, uh, Hannes Norpert was doing just, this since the uh, early 90s. Uh, you know, Hannes was also an inspiration right. to me, a young guy, full of energy, really smart, uh, you know, and um, mm. immersed in the details of the early days of this business. And of course, he had his partner. Uh, I don't mean partner in that sense. I mean, his co-worker, Susie Bruch. Susanna Bruch did a was really good at articulating ideas and spreading information and so we had Hannes Norpert, who was absolutely a visionary, and and Susie Bruch, who was absolutely a terrific communicator. And then they had this large group of smart, young, motivated people that would come and go. You know, they would uh, sitting down to a dinner with that group at a trade show was a cross cultural uh, extravaganza. Quite an interesting bunch and. 
and very, very influential over the long haul about what happened with electric bikes in Europe. You, you were consultancy. They went a different way. They kind of went into yes. um, letting people ride these things. So taking them out on the road on like a road show. Yes. Um, the extra energy um, road show in effect. So that was obviously, you know, lots of trade shows would have them, but they would go out to just other places and just get people on them. Because isn't that the, the, the crux of this is whenever you get somebody on an electric bike, it then clicks. It's like you get a great oh, big grin. That's what it does. I like it. Mm, mm. Yeah. The kind of the, the, the tailwind effect. You kind of, you, 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 certainly with, maybe not so much with a, with a hub, but certainly with a mid motor, it just, you feel like Superman or Superwoman. You, you know, it, it's, it's you. That's right. I, but I it's call not it you seven at the same league time. boots. <laughs> so, so if that's the case, uh, why hasn't it, why did it take so long to take off in America? Because you're talking about, you know, America's big into in, in, into cars. Was that just the only reason that the, the e-bikes took so long well, to, I, to, I, to I alluded to it a little off. bit earlier. Um, the electric bicycle was presented to the entire world uh, by, as transportation. The Chinese developed a transportation vehicle, and they were the main event for a production of product. The Germans and the French and the Italians that were involved in the earliest days of electric bicycles also thought of them as transportation and presented them as transportation. Hannes and Susie presented this as transportation. And in America, a bicycle is not transportation. A bicycle, if a bicycle is being used for transportation in the 1990s, early 2000s, that's because you're poor. It's because you can't afford anything else. And bicycles are for sport, fitness, and recreation. And the electric bicycle of those days was not very interesting for sport, fitness, or recreation. So what happened in America, I think, was a, simply a, a cultural phenomenon. We were shown this interesting transportation vehicle, and we said, no, we use cars for that. And it took a couple decades before uh, the American public woke up to the advantages or the benefits that an electric bicycle could bring to them. You also like, I mean, I know Europeans like this as well, of course, but more power, more torque, and, and specifically a throttle. So in the U UK and in the EU, we generally don't have the throttle. Yes. The US has got, on one class of bike, has got the throttle. Yes. What's the sales differentiation between those? Which, which is bigger in the US? How, how are those sectors doing? Well, the unit volume is heavily in favor of the throttle. Um, but one of the things that I've learned is this. Uh, the majority of the people in the United States don't ride bicycles. They may have ridden a bicycle for a while as a child, but uh, they, they're not, bicycle has not been, for most people, like maybe all but 1% or 2% of our population, a bicycle has not been a major part of their life. That one or two percent of our population that has been very interested in bicycles, um, they're used to buying nice bicycles at the bicycle shop, and they're used to controlling the speed of the bicycle with their feet. The farther they push, the faster they go. That's to them, that makes all kinds of sense. But the vast majority of our population did not grasp that idea as an intuitive, this is the way a bicycle should be. So they were presented with an electric-powered two-wheeler, and told this is an electric bicycle and you have to pedal it for the motor to run. And they're like, what? But when they were presented with this and you said, here, twist this throttle, they got that. They understood it. It was intuitive and it's mm -hmm. also easy. So uh, 
in the United States, uh, the class two bike is the unit volume leader. Now, the bicycle industry has a hard time with that because the bicycle industry at every level in the United States is people who like to ride bicycles or they or maybe or often former competitors. So you're an ex-bike racer, you're an ex-BMXer, uh, ex-triathlete. I shouldn't say ex. You're, you have this background and you're working in a bicycle shop. Of course, you think that controlling the bicycle by how hard you pedal is totally the, the correct way to do it. But the people that come in to talk to you about buying a bicycle may not see it that way. In fact, the people that come into your, the, most of the people, most of the American population will not go into a bicycle shop because they, that's not where they buy bicycles. They buy bicycles at Walmart. Um, and at Walmart, they read the cardboard card that's hanging on the front of the display and choose which bike they're going to buy with very little ex- in the way of expert input. And the, that's our normal American bicycle buyer. And the bicycle industry doesn't like to confront that because, it, 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 frankly, it represents a gigantic failure. We have not connected with most of our population. But most of our population does understand what a bicycle can do for them. The United States typically buys something in the neighborhood of 15 million bicycles every year. That's a lot. Um, and do we ride them a lot? Eh, no. Most of our bicycles stay in the garage with uh, being working as a laundry rack. <laughs> and if we look, where do people use bicycles for transportation? You know, I used to tell people, you want to see electric bikes? You go look at the back door of restaurants, the back door of hospitals, the back door where people are who are working for low wage rate jobs need to have uh, transportation to get to work. And there you will find a cluster of bicycles or including some electric bikes. So that stigma, uh, I don't want to, people think I'm poor. I'm not going to have a bicycle that I use for transportation. What really helped us with that problem, with that, with helped us with that cultural disconnect, was when the electric mountain bike became a thing. Because when the electric mountain bike became a thing, it became absolutely culturally acceptable for you to be interested in electric bikes and to, and to go out and get one. And guess what? They're fun. One of one of my good friends is uh, Estelle Gray, and Estelle Gray and her partner uh, Sally. Are they Sally Edwards? Sally Edwards is a former, or I guess not former. She's still doing triathlons. Um, she's a prominent person in the triathlon world. And Estelle uh, is one of the holders of the women's transcontinental tandem record. And I've known Estelle for decades. And we have discussed electric bikes off and on over the years. And she was, a, as she would put it, she's a strong, sturdy girl. And she doesn't need no stinking motor. <laughs> and then she got an electric bike and I think she got the electric bike because there was a mountain in between her and work and she wanted to pull. I, I remember the story and I may have it wrong. She wanted to pull a trailer with a dog uh, that there was a, a dog that uh, works with kids. She wanted to pull a trailer with the dog over the mountain. And so she decided she'd give electric bikes a try. Last time I talked to Estelle, which was a couple weeks ago, I think she told me that they now had four or five electric bikes. Uh, her and Sally. So, wow, <laughs> that's actually not a bad uh, synopsis of what's been happening uh, in the bicycle world uh, with an undercurrent that is really important. And it goes like this. We don't make much money at the bicycle business. We don't make much money on bicycles. We've mm-hmm. managed to create the razor thin margins to the point where it's almost a waste of time to try to sell a bicycle. And then electric bikes came along and electric bikes were a bigger ticket. 
a bigger margin, need more service. Wow, we can make money with these. And so what we've seen in every market is the bicycle companies and distributors have embraced the idea that with an electric bicycle, they can make money. With a normal bicycle, it's very tough. With an electric bicycle, not so bad. So uh, all over the world, electric bikes are the main moneymaker of the, of the bicycle industry. And that means that's the main attention focus of the bicycle mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. So Hannes has famously, um, he's, he's rode back from this a bit subsequently, but he famously said, and he, he said it in, in various um, symposiums and what have you in various shows over the years, that the mechanical bicycle is, is, is dead. It's going to go the way of the mangle, um, of the mechanical typewriter. Um, what you were just saying there was, was almost going towards that. So yeah. is that something that you also see happening that just at some point in the, in the, in the near future or maybe the far future, the mechanical bicycle is going to be the dodo? I think that the typewriter is a good analogy. Uh, I'm old enough that I learned to type on a mechanical typewriter and, and I used to be able to type on a mechanical typewriter, but the electric typewriter was so much easier. And then the computer came along and we stopped even talking about it. Um, and I think we're going to see the same thing happen with electric bikes. I think we are in the process of seeing uh, a, an electric component to the bicycle transmission. We're going to see that become almost ubiquitous. It's going to become almost universal. And the result is going to be bicycles are much easier to ride, and we might not even be completely aware of why. Is that is, is DI2 almost a stealth way of, of bringing, you know, uh, electrification of the bike into a mechanical bike? So you've got the, you know, Shimano's electronic gears, and you have a battery on, on, on your frame, and you recharge it every, every now and again, but it's still a, a mechanical bike. Yes. But it's not too much of a leap to think, well, you would just have a smaller battery than a slightly bigger battery. But inside the frame, you wouldn't see it. And that just becomes the form factor for the bicycle. It's just yes. every bicycle will be electrified in some way, shape or form in the future. I think so. Can you can you hear the gasps of horror? Uh, <laughs> that 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 just your acceptance of that, that the, the, the gasps of horror from the the, the, the global fans i've been, I've been hearing it shouted into my ears for as long as i've been doing this and and you know what i'm a bike guy i mm. grew up working in bicycle shops i raced mm. bicycles i competed in triathlons i rode long distance bike rides i commuted on a bicycle most most of the time when i've gone somewhere in my life i've gone by bicycle more often than any other vehicle i'm a bike guy i've got big thighs <laughs> the and I get it. I understand it. It's not, it doesn't fit into our paradigm. And you know what? I also am willing to embrace change. And I understand that most human beings have difficulty with change. It's not one of our skill sets, embracing change. But guess what? It's going to happen. Change does happen. It always happens. It doesn't matter whether you participate or not. So guess what? Um, bike industry, bike guys everywhere. Uh, electric bikes are coming. I shouldn't say are coming. They're here. Mm. And um, we, we, it's in one respect, it is a terrific, wonderful, upbeat, bright future that we face. And yeah, uh, if you're the kind of guy that deliberately types on a manual typewriter because that's what you think is cool, you may have difficulty with this. Mm-hmm. 
So you've got a consultancy, as you've said. Um, tell me the name of that consultancy. What's well, it's eCycle Electric, and we provide research. We monitor uh, imports mostly to the United States. We uh, we're networkers. If if somebody wants to know, uh, I just take out an example. If somebody said which which Chinese motor factory is the one that I should be talking to about this requirement, we probably know, and we probably know approximately what the price should be, and we can probably introduce that client to the bosses at that factory save them a lot of time and save, and usually save them a lot of money. Um, and I would say that the, that basic premise carries over to uh, batteries, controllers, complete uh, vehicles. Uh, so we, we leverage our connections and our history uh, to help people that uh, are new to the industry or need this kind of help. Uh, and that's our primary function in the consulting business, that and tracking and uh, reporting on the industry, now focusing almost exclusively on America uh, for tracking and reporting. We used to try to cover the entire world, but it's gotten way too big. And then we have the Light Electric Vehicle Association, which is perhaps a more important activity. As my wife put it, she says, eCycle Electric just makes money. That's all it does. The Light Electric Vehicle Association helps expand the utility of the electric bicycle or electric two-wheeler. And that it, what the electric two-wheeler, the electric bicycle, electric motor scooter, is improving life or offering options to hundreds of millions of people. That's an important thing. And uh, the Light Electric Vehicle Association has played a very small part in that. I'd like to point out Hannes has played a much bigger part in that. But we're all going in the same direction. Mm. So my wife, you're describing my wife there as well, actually, because we've got an electric car of hers that's sitting on the drive, doesn't doesn't move much. And she just rides to work. She's a she's a hospital doctor and she she works at the top of the hill. So she goes on a, on her electric bike pretty much every single day. Yes. What you're saying there about, you know, improving people's lives. Well, I would say if I had to ask her, why do you go on your bike? She would say because it, it, it's good for her mental health. It's certainly good for exercise because, you know, it, you have got to pedal the, the, the bikes in, in, in the UK. Um, she just likes 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 doing it. So this is a this is a product that improves her life. Yes. Getting out and riding your bicycle, whether it's an electric bike or a manually powered bike or just getting out and walking to work or walking to, to your grocery store is I think it's something that resonates inside the human spirit. We get out, we move ourselves under our own power. It's a glorious thing that we get to do. And bicycles, you know, you and I have had the same experience. Bicycles have been a very important part of our lives and they are an invigorating moment in every day. Thanks to Ed Benjamin of eCycle Electric there, and thanks to you for listening to episode 304 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Show notes and more can be found on the-spokesman.com. The next episode will be out at the end of the month. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.